Hi friends, uh, Derek Sweatman here at Atlanta Christian Church. Uh, welcome to another sermon podcast. Uh, as I say, I think each week uh, we do these live on Zoom and so the scripture reading is done by somebody else and you can't really hear that in the recording. So I'm going to read for you our text for this, uh, this week's sermon, Psalm 62 verses 5 through 12. And it goes like this, For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay all according to their work. This is the word of the Lord. Enjoy the sermon. Grace and peace. Um, well, it's the third Sunday in the Epiphany season, and the Epiphany season is the season that leads us to Lent, which takes us to Easter, uh, but it's on the heels of Christmas, and um, so it's it's based in this coming of Christ into the world, of being aware of that, and ultimately it is a season of um, waking up to God's presence in our lives and in our world. This is the heart of the season. This is what it tries to encourage us to do. It invites us to open our eyes again. It is a season of uh, orientation, if you will, a reorientation sometimes for us. Uh, and again, coming on the heels of Christmas, uh, it is solely focused on, uh, its primary focus is on uh, the coming of Christ into the world. Uh, and in that event, in that life of Jesus, we are reminded that yes, truly God is with us. Uh, and so we, but we also have to remember that. We have to be uh, reoriented to that time and time again. So Epiphany serves as this season. I mean, it's in the word itself. It's a season of discovery, a season of reawakenings. And so, and the texts that are given for each of the Sundays during the season in their own way are designed to help us come awake to the presence of God again in our lives and in our world. And they remind us of the depth of God's character. Uh, and again, it is a season to be reoriented to those things um, and we've chosen for this Sunday to do, again, one of the psalms uh, that are given for this Sunday, and it's a beautiful uh, text. The psalms, if you're unfamiliar with the psalms, if you're not really into the psalms, the psalms are uh, essentially the ancient prayer book, song book, poetry book of ancient Israel. Um, they were written over probably five, six hundred years of time. 
by the time of Jesus, they were pretty much, quote, in print as we have them today, and they would have been used in private worship and devotion, uh, but also in corporate worship as well in the synagogues. And in the early church, the Psalms were used a great deal uh, to give language to prayer, but also to worship. They're mostly sung. Uh, they have a rhythm to them. They don't translate very well in English because Hebrew is a very interesting language. Uh, and I'll show you some of that today as we look at it. But they are quite beautiful, quite rhythmic, quite uh, amazing when you get into the depth of these. And so our psalm for today, uh, Psalm 62, is a psalm of reorientation. Um, Walter Brueggemann, uh, Old Testament scholar, uh, talks about the psalms sort of fall into three categories, equilibrium or orientation and then disorientation and then reorientation. And this particular psalm is one, uh, a psalm of reorientation, uh, where the writer gives voice to certain discoveries, epiphanies, uh, that they've made it through in, in some of life's circumstances and experiences. And this psalm, uh, the, in this psalm, the writer is reflecting on, and this is the important part, the harsh realities of impermanence, of how life and people break down, they fail. Like in the video at the beginning of the service, the vacation doesn't heal things, uh, and how perfection in both like power structures and money and youth and beauty and status, they're all illusions. This is what the writer is getting at. They're all just illusions. Um, the writer is expressing the lessons that come from uh, you know learning how to interpret the brokenness of people and the systems in which we live, uh, the systems of power, the material things that we have to properly interpret these things uh, in light of who God is and what his creation uh, is all about. And so Psalm 62 uh, does this, and it does this very masterfully. I want to show you a picture uh, of our text today, and um, this is just from my Bible. Uh, welcome to a behind-the-scenes look at how Hebrew poetry works. Uh, I've put some letters there on the side. I've highlighted things different colors. Um, and what you want to notice here, and this is very common in Hebrew literature, especially in poetry, is that the psalm has a center of gravity, and the center of gravity is verse 9, that letter C. The letters A are two of the same kinds of uh, things that are being said. I'll talk about that in a second. The letters B are the same kind of things, but it all funnels into verse 9, which is the point of the psalm. This is what the psalmist wants us to see. Now, the letters A are just exhortations. These are just proclamations about who God is. Uh, that word alone or the word one uh, in Hebrew, is it starts almost every single one of these verses. Again, you can't see that in the English translation, uh, but that's part of the point. And it's all about God being the only or alone being powerful. And um, But the letters A, they sort of book in the passage with these exhortations or proclamations, declarations about who God is. And then as it gets closer to the center of gravity on both sides, the uh, writer does a teaching moment. These are didactic parts of the text that he's teaching. Trust in him at all times. Uh, oh, people, pour out your heart before him, etc. God is a refuge for us. These are statements about how we should respond. And he does that again in verse 10. But again, it all flows to verse 9, which when you read it, it sounds very dark and fatalistic. And it is. Uh, it says, those of low estate are but a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. Uh, and the balances, they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. And this is where the psalmist wants us to sit in reflection. 
to to let those words uh, reside in our our minds for a minute. And it's it's interesting because I mean this is thousands and thousands. Of, you know, this is a long time ago, uh, but the the insight to which this writer has about the human condition for us to uh, look to people and to power structures and systems and material things and to think they can solve all of life's problems, whether it's technology or something that I own or I can buy or a relationship that I can be in. The center of gravity here causes us to sit with the reality that even those things uh, fail, even those things are not 100% reliable. Thanks for showing that picture, Lindsay. We can go back. And so the epiphany in this psalm is the awakening of the writer to the temporal nature of things um, and and to the everlasting nature of God alone. This epiphany has a dissonance to it. On the one hand, all of us so often place our bets on people and things, while on the other hand, we know from experience that those things can fail us. on Instagram, my Instagram feed, I don't know if yours is like this, but I get a lot of ads. I get ads for like cool shoes and music. Uh, but I also get ads for like planners and journals, like journals that you can use for your planners. I think it's because I bought something once that was like a planner. I don't know if you get these, but I like to look through them. Maybe that's why I get them because I click them uh, and I look through them and they're all the same. They're all like this. They promise like complete order and balance in your life. And uh, I grew, I was in college at the time when Franklin Quest was a thing. It eventually became Franklin Covey. But we were junkies with those day planners, and we would go to the mall north of the city uh, and buy, you know, this quarter's planner and just fill it out. It just made us feel so organized until like two weeks into it, and, you know, I forgot where my pencil was or I, whatever, and uh, didn't turn in the assignment and what uh, all, all of the things that go with, like, trying to get your life together, and it just doesn't work. Uh, yes, it can make things better, uh, but just the way that these ads, I mean, just dig into them and just, it. a lot of ads these days sound very religious anyway. Like, it's not just like a car, it's like a full life experience. It's not just a journal, it's a life-changing adventure. Uh, when in reality, all of us have boxes of journals, unfinished, unwritten in, failures uh, of our attempts to, to bring balance and stability to our lives. You know, it's just it's just the way it works. And part of life is, and this is what the psalmist is getting at, part of life is learning to engage with new ideas, new plans, new products, new resolutions, which we've probably all broken at this point, new relationships, uh, new workout routines, new diets, new investments, new jobs, to engage all of those things with an awareness that these things, though they may be good for us, and they are, they will fail us at some point. Uh, Even when people come to me like, with great excitement, they tell me they're going to, like, they're starting a new Bible reading plan. It's going to take them through the whole Bible. Um, it's hard for me not to say, and sometimes I do, hey, uh, give me a call when you bail out, you know, because I know it won't be long. You'll hit the book of Numbers, and that's a, that's a nosedive into uh, depression. Balance and stability are really important to us, and when we uh, lean on things to get balance and stability and they fail— it's frustrating. We feel foolish, uh, betrayed. Uh, we could all make a list of the people or products or organizations or jobs that we put a lot of hope in only to be let down. Even the church, like uh, New Testament theologian Scott McKnight, great line, super simple. He says, on paper, the church works, but that's about it. 
It's a very, you know, even it can let us down and it does. Now, this is where, this is the center of gravity for my sermon. Let me get this part going and then we'll close it down. Judaism and Christianity, very important. They share a perspective of the human condition uh, in their writings, in the scriptures, in their theologies that we call low anthropology, meaning there's this acceptance, a conviction even, that humanity is not flawless. And one of humanity's great flaws is its tendency to imagine achievable perfection in both material things and other people, and even in ourselves. I mean, there's a whole movement to make ourselves perfect. And it's one of those things that I appreciate most about the Bible. It's not a clean story. It's a total mess. Like if you read the Bible and you're frustrated with how messy it is, that's kind of the point. It's a total mess. Part of what I think the inspiration of Scripture meant uh, was that the writers and compilers of all of these things that we have in our Bible were guided to leave all of that stuff intact, to leave the stories of failure, to leave the stories of betrayal, to leave the stories of just evil that, t- that took place in the lives of real people in real places and in real times in history. And unlike most histories, and this is so important, the Bible was not written by winners. All histories are written by those who win, uh, but the Bible was written by losers. It's what makes the Bible so difficult for Americans to truly grasp and understand because we're not an oppressed nation. And the whole narrative of Scripture was born in a people who were living in exile, living under violent regimes and occupied lands. It's not our story. And so when we read the Bible, we're not reading a history or the story of people who won we're reading the story of people who lost continually. Um, my friend and Old Testament professor at Columbia, uh, William P. Brown, uh, he says, hey, look, if you're looking for a miracle, uh, it's that Israel is even still a thing. And he makes a good point historically. Just the, the struggles and the experiences of that nation from its very beginnings were just loss after loss after loss. And Psalms like the one that we're looking at today were written by people who experienced great loss from the systems in which they lived and the relationships that formed their lives. And in this psalm, we are reoriented by this center of gravity around the all-surpassing reliability of God to remain present with us, to always love us, to always forgive us, and to always be for us. And the epiphany here is an obvious one, but it's a hard one. Uh, And this is just the youth group thing here. Just put all your full trust in God. You've learned that. If you grew up in church, you've heard that. And that's what the psalmist is saying. And practice, as our friends over at the Bitter Southerners say, radical empathy towards others. It does no good to see and accept and embrace the imperfection that's in the world and particularly in people if we don't also acknowledge that in ourselves. We have to acknowledge that we are part of the human condition. And when I can get to a place where I no longer expect or even imagine perfection in others uh, because I see them as sharing in the same difficulties of life, it helps me in my ability and in my willingness to love them better and to forgive them more often and to practice community more fully. Uh, Grace and peace. You're in the car and you're judging, man. You better mind.
the field and you don't want to find You join the church and you won't be right But you got to get in a car and a dirt man You better mind They say that you better mind Oh, you better mind Oh, you better mind You know you better mind You got to get in